Welcome to the 16th edition of the Panama interview series, where we discuss topics regarding foreign direct investment in Latin America and the Caribbean. We are streaming live from the capital city of the Republic of Panama. The Panama interview series is produced by Bico Legal and Compliance Consulting, LLC, a Miami Domicile Limited Liability Corporation with offices in downtown Miami and Panama City, Panama. We provide international, commercial, and transactional legal and regulatory compliance advice and related services to manufacturers and brand owners that seek to boost profit and hedge domestic risk through international distribution in the USA and in Latin America and the Caribbean. My name is Anthony Robinson, and I am the managing member of Eco Legal and Compliance Consulting. In this edition of the Panama Interview Series, we will discuss the compliance requirements for exporting seafood from Latin America to the USA. Uh, to that end, we are honored to have as our guests uh, this afternoon, Scott Zimmerman, uh, the CEO of Safety Quality Seafood Associates, LLC, and Julio Maltes, the founder and CEO of VC Products, Inc., otherwise known as Ocean Gourmet. Uh, we have several topics to cover over 60 minutes. Uh, accordingly, please put your questions in the chat, and I will submit them to our guests afterwards. Uh, Scott, Julio, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to meet with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're just going to jump right in. Scott, tell us a little bit about uh, the mission of Safety Quality Seafood Associates and the services that your company provides. Well, thanks a lot for the opportunity to speak with you and uh, your associates here today, Anthony. Um, Safe Quality Seafood Associates is a small shop consultancy here in Miami, Florida. We're a, a basically a third party entity that assists with quality assurance and quality control specific to foods, uh, seafood products. So we don't work with blueberries and poultry. Uh, we work with seafood from both a regulatory and a third party standard um, compliance perspective. So we're working on um, writing HACCP programs and, and assisting with training facilities and implementing HACCP, but we're also working with finished products as well um, to determine their disposition, whether it's a quality or food safety related issue. Um, so we've been working in this space for a decade now um, as a small shop consultancy and um, really enjoying um, working with the seafood industry, especially in Latin America, because we're here in Miami. Yo hablo un poco español, pero suficiente para la auditoría. And um, it's a great opportunity um, to, to be here today. So thank you. And you've had, you've had on the ground experience with companies in Latin America where you've uh, traveled to the, to the companies and done investigations and on-site work. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And um, I actually just bought a new uh, tool for that. It's a luminometer um, where I'm able to do swabbing of um, food contact surfaces for the presence of active proteins, salmonella, listeria, and some other bad bugs. Um, but I also work through those food safety programs, through their GMPs, through their HACCPs, and HACCP programs and critical control points to make sure that they're um, monitoring those, those uh, 
steps in the process where a, a potential hazard could occur from the eyes of FDA's perspective. So in order for those companies to meet those equivalency requirements, um, they need to be audited and vetted to make sure that they're controlling the hazards that are most likely to occur. Perfect. Most of my audits are in uh, Central and South America, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama. I've been had the opportunity to, to uh, visit Panama on several occasions, so uh, it's a great country, and I look forward to doing some more work over there. Well, thanks. We're, uh, we're honored to have you with us. Julio, tell us a little bit about BC Products uh, and your mission and services. Oh, first of all, thank you, Anthony. Uh, hi, Scott. Um, thank you, everybody, for having me here. Um, BC Products, so it's a, it's a company basically founded uh, by me with my family. And BC Product is a distributor of Ocean Gourmet, which is a very well-known brand locally in Panama. And we do also some private labeling for supermarkets, chains, all, all over Panama. We have done in the past some export, uh, basically a lot of export, mainly to, to Miami, as you mentioned before, uh, fresh products as well as frozen. So basically, we know pretty well uh, everything that is going on currently um, in, in this in this seafood business. Uh, my my main goal currently, uh, and basically that's what we are looking for on the export area. Um, we wanted we wanted to export a brand. So, uh, I think that that's the future currently. The future is going to be um, exporting finished products. Um, Panama is known, as you mentioned before, not for uh, for seafood as its main export um, commodity. Uh, but I think that that in the future we will start seeing more um, finished products, value-added products being exported from Panama, and quite less on raw material, which is currently what he has been leading all the exporting uh, in the past. Because of COVID and this whole new thing that is going on right now, I think that the future is going to be value added. Give us, give, us a, give us a quick example of some of your value added product, because I know you have some, some, good, some good ideas and some good products. I've, I've tried some of them myself. Exactly, exactly. Yes, we actually in, in in all this pandemic, we call it uh, pandemic developments. <laughs> uh, uh, we do, we did actually, we are doing it right now. Uh, we already start selling um, uh, smoked tuna carpaccio, uh, smoked octopus carpaccio, smoked shrimp carpaccio. Uh, we have a, a, a very, very, very good brand or very good differentiation of seafood chorizo as well, like sausages, um, salmon sausages, um, uh, yellowfin tuna sausages, um, seafood mix sausages, uh, smoked salmon dip, smoked tuna dip. Uh, those all these develops that uh, that we have been working on, and right now it's being launched to the supermarkets 
expecting uh, to be like this new thing in this coming year. We know that November and December is not our our main month, our main sales, but we have to be out in the market and draw now. So to take advantage for the next year, uh, January and February, which is going to be uh, when we hit it hard and we we will try to make a, a statement in the seafood industry locally. Okay. Well, before we jump into the, the you know the topic of conversation today, which is you know regular regulatory compliance, uh, FDA compliance requirements for exporting to the USA in the seafood industry. You know, let's set the economic context in Latin America within which, you know, exports of seafood products are generated. You know, literature reviews establish that historically most of the fish products in the region uh, have been concentrated in fish meal produced by large caches of small pelagic fish, such as uh, forage, anchovies, sardines, shad, or, or, or musk bunker, or any of the larger predatory fish that feed on these types of uh, forage fish like swordfish, tuna, mackerel, and shark. And the upwelling areas or those coastal areas where deep cold water rises toward the surface off Peru and Chile. But in recent decades, Latin American fisheries or fishery production has not only increased on an ongoing basis, but is also diversified. And its focus has shifted towards fish production for human consumption rather than just fish meal and trading with the United States uh, the European Union and, and Japan has been uh, a focus. Uh, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations reports that Latin America and the Caribbean is currently a net fish exporter. Uh, in 2019, the FAO projected that by 2030, fish exports for Latin America uh, will, re will increase by 29% to 5.1 million tons. Uh, the prevailing research on the relationship between Latin American fishery exports and economic growth has found empirical evidence that fishery exports act as a growth engine for developing countries. So ergo our topic today, seafood exports will play an important role in the post-pandemic ec economic recovery of the region. And as the U.S. is arguably the region's most important trade partner, a successful recovery will depend meaningfully uh, on a keen understanding of the FDA compliance requirements by fishery companies within the region. Uh, so, Julia, let's let's talk about Panama as a case study. What is the current status of the seafood industry in the Republic of Panama? I know that's a wide open uh, question, but. Um, you know, I mean, the, the industry has gone through changes within the last 30 years. Is that correct? Maybe you could speak to some of those changes. Oh, yes. Uh, basically, um, we know we know that that um, all these changes, actually, there is a fluctuation of prices kind of crazy currently. Uh, uh, we have our VEDA. Uh, I don't know. How do you translate it, Anthony? The VEDA uh in english is the time the time when when we can catch uh, shrimps oh uh, it, it, the uh the 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 high season or the season where where, where fishing is prohibited or prohibited exactly for sustainability purposes exactly 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 right. well we we just passed the second the second one this year and you know that uh, together with that there is a fluctuation of prices 
I know for a fact that exports has been increasing, but at the same time, local sales has, are increasing. Why? Mm -hmm. Because um, when the pandemic happened, companies realized that, that they couldn't export, they couldn't, they couldn't basically do nothing, and the only market the, the way they were able to sell is local. Mm -hmm. So, um, seafood company wants to play in, like says in both waters. Now they realize that they cannot rely just on exporting. They cannot just realize re realize in in local sales. So that is that is what's going on right now. Um, I believe that the price is gonna drop by the end of the year, and it will continue dropping the next year. And I know that it's going to be a sort of a, a, a hold back on economics. That's a, that's, a, that's a fact. Actually, it's happening right now. Right. Uh, it's, it's happening right now globally, not just Panama, globally. Uh, and that is going to be a drop in prices for local fishermen and for importing importers as, as us. Uh, that's going to be a dropping of actually we already already know that containers arriving on on December they come with lower prices mm -hmm. that's a fact that's a fact it's going to be it's, it's happening right now um so i believe that um, we have we 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 need to know how to play this game in order to succeed uh, basically what i'm saying that you ha we have to be playing both ways. We have to export, we have to hit the local market, and we we have to pay attention on value-added products. Okay. Let's take a quick step back and just look at, you know, the export uh, panorama for Panama within which, you know, the seafood industry operates. So where does Panama export on 2020 numbers? Um, and you can see that, you know, uh, there's a, a variety of countries and in, in, in partners, but the U.S. is arguably, you know, our, our most uh, important uh, partner there. You know, what what are we importing, exporting? Um, you can see as, as far as food exports, uh, bananas are, the, are, probably, are number one, but seafood products are after bananas as far as Panamanian exports uh, are concerned. Um, this uh, is a chart that uh, Apex put together that shows us how within the food sector, how exports are ranked, and then a year-over-year -year comparison from 21 to 22 um, in each line item. And you can see uh, Camarón, you know, shrimp, has yes. really been the most uh, successful ex food export out of all of these uh, opportunities with, uh, you know, 113% growth, right? So, uh, you know, that's, um, maybe you could speak to that, um, Julio, why, why such a large and- uh, Increase? Yeah, increase year over year of, uh, of shrimp. To, um, to be honest, I don't think it's, it, it is um, the main market. The main market for this shrimp is going to be U.S. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is going to be Asia, and it, and it's mainly um, farm-raised shrimp, not wild caught. Okay. Um, basically, what what it is is that in pandemic, uh, there is there, there will be a there was a lack of shrimp, and now they are ramping up the, their production. Mm-hmm. Some other countries couldn't export. Some other probably they are affected by the by the war in the Europe, and they cannot supply for the regular suppliers. And there is an opportunity for for Latin America on that. So uh, there's a little bit of a of, of a rebound uh, function going on here from uh, you know in the post COVID recovery. Exactly, and, exactly. Uh, which which is you know there's an opportunity there. Why why would uh, you know, pescado y filete de pescado. Why would you know fish fillets be uh, going down with respect to you know as an export from Panama? Mm, uh, it, it is going down, but but you know it it usually fluctuates in that number. It's not mm-hmm. really affected. It is basically the same. Right. Uh, it goes up two or three points up. Goes down two or three points down, but. If you go back, I think it's if the it's right there, it's right mm-hmm. there. So that's in within the normal variation. Uh, exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. So this slide tells us a little bit about where um, the non-fillet frozen fish, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Julio, the biggest category of fish exports. Is that I mean, traditionally, historically, is that is that correct? I'm sorry. Non-fillet frozen fish if uh-huh. is is a it has been historically a big category of, of exactly for exactly exactly non-fillet mm-hmm. first non-fillet then fillets and, and one and one of the main species that I think is is being exported right now is tilapia. Panama mm-hmm. is the one of one of the few places that you can get wild caught tilapia, and you know that wild caught um, products. Have a little bit extra value besides all the farm raised, mm-hmm. just because you know it's wild, uh, it's, it's not artificially fit. No, no, no antibiotics uh, are are included in the production. So, so I think that the the main export right there is, is tilapia. Then it's going to be all the other fishes like corvina, mahi mahi. Uh, uh, this a, a couple of months ago, we have a large, large, large production of of yellowfin tuna loins. Mm-hmm. So that's an, another main product that is being exported. That yeah. kind of product is going is is their their main market is the U.S. And speak a little bit about frozen uh, compared to non-frozen, non-fillet seafood products because it seems like frozen has more exports than non-frozen. Why would that be? Yeah, um, the main the way it works is that all the non-frozen fresh fresh seafood is flown by air to Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously the prices are higher because of the of the freight and uh, the volume is lower. And and is this is a business that have to be done day in daily wises. Prices goes up, goes down, 
and this is uh, delivered directly to restaurants, um, uh, food service, mainly food service and catering. In the other side of the spectrum is the, the, the frozen seafood, which is um, delivered to large distributors, uh, main, main probably a large supermarket chain, uh, which obviously the, the capacity of, of, of processing is a little bit large, no, not a little bit, a lot, of la a lot larger than, than, than fresh products. Okay. Uh, we did, we have done both. Uh, the fresh seafood. I don't recommend that that kind of business. <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of frustrating and and, and a lot of um, involvement day and night on on the on the on that kind of uh, uh, business. Uh, you. Go ahead. Go sorry? ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No. Well, well, yes. Uh, it, it's it's a daily, daily, daily basis sales. Mm -hmm. uh, you, for example, you get thirty thousand pounds of mahi mahi, then you are able to send to sell fresh five thousand or 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 ten thousand. Then you what do you do with the rest? You have to frozen. Yeah. And then you have to, you have to look for for somebody else to buy it, or they collect it and, and and fill up a container. So that's why you see big volumes of fro frozen, small fro small volumes of, of fresh. Interesting to me was that this is where the exports for non-fillet fresh fish are going, ninety-four percent to the United States, where we just saw that the frozen is 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 within the region. Uh, a good deal, a good a good portion of it. Why? Exactly. So, so I mean, you spoke to that. I don't want to belabor the point, but I thought that was I thought that was interesting. You know, I'd, I'd like to uh, uh, make the segue a little bit to uh, Law Twenty Four uh, here in Panama, Julio, because mm -hmm. I think it's one. The law was passed recently, back in March of, of twenty one. The law regulates the activities of fishing, aquaculture, and activities related to fish. A good part of it is about sustainability, but a, 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 another focus of the law is to um, ensure that uh, fishing concerns within the country are operating in accordance with international standards and the latest technologies. Um, really important, obviously. Um, I, you know, I'm interested in how this is affecting your business and 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 your competitors in Panama. Well, yes, actually, um, me me as BC Product Ocean Gourmet, we knew already that this this is gonna that's something that's gonna happen, and that's something that actually it will get tighter in the future. Uh, one of the main complaints of the of of the of the international institutions is the security or the uh, sustainability of the of the of the catching or how it's been catch uh, all the, the the fish or the seafood products here in Panama and obviously that is gonna minimize uh, the, the catching volume because of the the restrictions of how it's been fishing by net now it have to be by hooks 
So the volume is going to drop down. Um, but that's something that's going to happen. I mean, the, you have to, we have to deal with it. Uh, this, this is not something new. Actually, we support, uh, I don't know, Anthony, if you know this organization, Marviva. Mm -hmm. uh, we support Marviva. Uh, we have a production line of ceviche. And one of, one of our labels says, uh, not, not o libre de tiburón, which is uh, charge-free. Uh -huh. uh, locally, locally, one of the, the, the main ways to sell a shark is through ceviche. Mm. They, they they label it they, they label it like like corvina ceviche, but it's shark. Okay. Uh, so so we we as a as a company knew because I saw it myself that when they catch the the shark they they take out the fins, and they threw threw back the the shark alive. Uh huh. So when I saw that, I mean. The, that's that's horrible. That's horrible for the environment. It's horrible for us. It's horrible for everybody. Uh, it, it's going to ruin our ecosystem. So so we step ahead and, and support that kind of movement. Uh, and that's that's something that that's cultural culturality. Us as a plant and, and fishermen have to understand that that's we have to we have to take care of our of our uh, sea of our, of our ocean. Yeah. So uh, the main the main reason or 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 how it affect us in the business is just about volume, and that's why I always insist of the way we should we as a plant have to make business mainly to the US or, or the Caribbean is going through or experiencing or inventing something with value added. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's our main uh, goal or, or, or the, main, the, the main way that company should see exports, not, not as a raw material exporters. Mm -hmm. Mainly as a as a finished products, as Scott mentioned before, mm -hmm. he have done he have done some 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 advices on on finished products, and we should be focusing on that finished products, uh, value other products, to add value that the word said to add value to our to our seafood, because the otherwise we're gonna be it can be replaced very easily. And uh, Panama is a country, it's not cheap, it's not easy to, to produce. And it's gonna, it's gonna be, e it's easy for Costa Rica or, or Peru to beat us on prices, very mm -hmm. easy. So the only way that we can make business in the long run is gonna be value added. That's my personal opinion. Right. And, me... and uh -huh. go, go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, and companies that doesn't see it this way, it's a dead sentence. To me, it's a dead sentence. Right. If you export shrimp, well, try breaded, for example. Uh, if you do, um, I don't know, if you do uh, uh, 
hold fish or try something else. Try to add value to your product because then it's going to be a moment that is going to be a cheaper place that is going to beat you with pricing and you're going, you're going, you are going to be out of the business. That's going to happen. Sooner or later, it's, it's going to come. That's for sure. No, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's important what you're saying. And, and, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts also on the regulatory focus of Law 2204, because, you know, it, 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 a lot of it is domestic sustainability uh, and that over-exportation are trying to address that issue. But some of it, part of the focus of the law is to raise the, the regulatory compliance standards of operators in the industry. Um, I mean, do you see that as a, an area of where value can be added? I mean, do you see uh, a need for an increase in regulatory compliance, food safety compliance in the industry within Panama? Sure. Sure, we have to. In other words, we can compete. We, we have to. That's, that, that's, that's, that's not even an option. Right. The, pro the problem is, 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 is if, if the this fisherman is willing to do it on how or, or, or how they're going to be approaching to those to those uh, regulations mm -hmm. uh, we have to we have to enforce them we as a plant have to enforce them um, but that is our fight because mm -hmm. usually plants plants own some some boats but not not all of them and to make the volume, you have to buy for independent fishermen. Mm -hmm. And they, those independent fishermen, that's, that's, that's our main problem right there. <laughs> well, uh, well, there, there is, uh, this is a good segue to, to get in the heart of uh, what we are talking about today, which what are the compliance requirements for exporting to seafood to the U.S.? You know, if, 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 if to me, the opportunity of Law 204 is for uh, the industry to, um, you know, embrace the uh, compliance requirements of the U.S. And, and make that the baseline uniform standard for all players uh, to engage experts to come in and educate about where the priorities of FDA uh, so that there's a uniform level of compliance, um, which will make, you know, our products more attractive to U.S. Uh, in the market. So I want to get to, I want to, Scott, you've been sitting there patiently as we've been talking about market stuff, but we're just going to jump into it. I mean, what are the uh, special requirements for imported products and foreign supplier verification programs? So there's a lot of different moving parts here, but I think the one word that I would kind of focus on is equivalency, whether it's having to do with National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administrations, the National, uh, the National Marine Fisheries Service, whether it's Customs, whether it's FDA or Fish and Wildlife Service. We have laws here in the United States that we apply to domestic production, and those equivalent level of laws need to be met overseas uh, for those products intended for human or animal consumption here in the United States. And so when we talk about the Food Safety Modernization Act, we talk about the evolution and the modernization 
of, of food safety standards here in the United States. We're looking at an upgrade in um, those requirements for importers. We're looking at it, upgrades for requirements for producers um, and any, really anybody in the food supply chain that's maintaining um, ownership of that product or is considered the importer of record or the international fisheries permit holder, um, they need to have full traceability of all uh, key data elements at different critical tracking events that are going to show the FDA through a sortable spreadsheet that they know where the product has been. They have full traceability on, on how those products were produced and that the uh, controls in that processing plant are equivalent to those controls that the FDA is recommending through their guidance. So, um, you know, I don't know if you want to start with, um, you know, meeting the HACCP requirements or the differences between foreign supplier verification and those requirements that already exist for seafood importers in the United States. But each one of these topics, um, you know, we, we, could, we could spend at least five minutes on each of them, if you like. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's the, what we should do is spend, I mean, we don't have enough time to, to give it justice and to, and to go into it, but we had just as, as an introduction and a way as, as a jumping board to, for future conversations, maybe we spend a little bit on each. So um, then maybe you could talk about the propo proposed food traceability rule and how it will impact uh, exporters of seafood products. Okay, so the deal with the proposed traceability rule, which is pretty much going to become regulation uh, this this coming November, uh, but that it's not going to have it's it's not going to bear its teeth until 2025. Uh, the deal with that is that um, in a in a sortable spreadsheet, the FDA is going to require fishing vessels buyer information seafood processors information, distributors, retailers to maintain full traceability on any product, any seafood product that's on the food traceability list. So what's on the food traceability list? Every seafood product that you could think of is on that list right now. Okay, there is no exempted product. When it comes to seafood, all of it is required full traceability. So we're looking at, you know, importers information, uh, quantity, a lot of the information that that the supply chain already has. But now it's a matter, it's a matter of making sure that the next entity in the chain of custody has is capturing that information. And then it's then packaged and passed on all the way to the retail. So, you know, certain entities well, I mean, the retailer is not going to need the shipping information because the FDA realizes that in some instances there's proprietary and you know information that they can't pass along. But for example, um, the buyer of the product is going to have to receive key data elements uh, from the receiving of that product and the shipping of that product, and that's going to need to then be sent on to the next. Um, entity in the supply chain. So there, there's documents that detail those specific um, those specific 
um, data points, those key data elements that are going to need to be captured and and tracked along in the in the uh, seafood supply chain, so that information is going to be available in a in a sortable Excel spreadsheet, for example, or other similar sortable spreadsheet um, that the, that the FDA will be able to use in order to conduct a traceability and, and essentially recall exercise to determine the root cause of, of the problem. So, um, you know, a lot of what FDA is trying to achieve there has a lot of, a lot of this time been being achieved through the seafood import monitoring program, although that's only a certain number of products that are required to comply with that regulation under the U.S. Department of Commerce and the National Marine Fisheries Service. Um, also, the seafood in industry has been kind of stepping up their game um, through third-party certification, um, which also requires uh, full traceability. But the FDA has already, you know, to date, anybody that's importing product requires one step forward, one step backwards traceability. But now the devil's in the details when it comes to traceability, and that's where, where the concentration for industry needs to be on what the FDA defines as a key data element and what they define as a critical tracking event. Um, and, and those processors and other entities, distributors and others, how they currently capture that data and whether or not they're capturing the full set of data that's gonna uh, determine their ability to comply. And like I said, the teeth will come out in 2025. Okay. Well, let's talk. This is a good segue to talk about FDA actions yeah. and enforcement and, and uh, how they impact exporters of seafood products. You know, before I talk about that, I want to just mention the differences between what importers in the United States require in terms of data and what importers that fall under the Food Safety Modern Modernization Act's foreign supplier verification program. We started hearing a lot more about um, FSVP. Well, the seafood industry is exempt from FSVP. That is only if you are able to comply with the existing regulation for seafood importers here in the United States. And um, I will just say that the differences are pretty are pretty obvious um, in that with with foreign supplier verification, the importer themselves has to do a written hazard analysis. Okay, whereas the seafood importer here in the United States, all they have to do is maintain um, a copy of a safety specification. A, a, a written a verification program, as well as an affirmative step, which could be to maintain a copy of the HACCP plan from the packer, let's say Panama, and a copy of a letter of guarantee from the packer in Panama, for example, that states that they're compliant with all the U.S. laws. Whereas the foreign supplier verification, um, it's more of a risk assessment that has to be conducted by the importer and then there needs to be written evidence that any hazards that have been identified, especially those with like you were, you were talking about earlier, uh, the the um, 
the increase in the number of uh, value added and ready to eat products, um, those are considered high risk in the eyes of FDA because they're considered, uh, there's no kill step that's involved with, with consuming a product like that. And so there needs to be um, evidence of a audit that was conducted um, that was um, equivalent to the FDA's um, regulatory requirements under CFR 123 um, and 117 for those parts of the, of the preventive control rule that do apply. So the modernization that has occurred with most other industries, uh, food producing industries, only partial parts of that are, are required by, by the FDA to be implemented by seafood manufacturers, but the devil's in the details there because if you are not compliant, um, you can be subject to enforcement action um, as the product hits our port, um, whether it's uh, placing the product on hold, um, collecting samples in kind of a, um, a compliance audit, a compliance sampling for specific shipments and entries that are coming here to placing those um, manufacturers, those products and even entire countries can be placed on import alert or DWPE detention without physical examination, um, which is a real pain in the butt to get off that ad list. Okay, it's, um, well, you know, it's, it's a process um, between creating lab evidence um, and producing um, programs that in the eyes of FDA are considered equivalent and to show that those programs have been implemented. It's one thing to say, this is our, our food safety program. It's another thing to show that it's been effectively implemented writing up a root cause analysis and corrective actions to make sure that um, that adulteration that occurred that's associated with the shipment of the product that you sent here is no longer going to happen. Um, so working with the FDA um, can be a difficult process. Um, they have tight deadlines. Um, and if you don't meet them, they're not going to come back to the table. I was just working with a client today that didn't read was asking me to assist with a reconditioning of a product that had evidence of filth um, insects and they wanted to uh, reprocess blocks and um, and make it into two pound bags of IQF, um, but their deadline's tomorrow. And I said, I'm not going to write you a reconditioning plan. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to stop everything that I'm doing and write your reconditioning plan when you don't have all your ducks in line. So best of luck. And now they're going to have to export. They, they had originally sent a reconditioning plan that wasn't up to snuff because it didn't talk about the products, the total volume of product that they were going to reproduce. Um, and then how many samples that they were going to take as a result of the new lots that they were going to create. They just said, we're going to uh, thaw out the blocks. We're going to uh, wash it in water and we're going to make two pound bags of IQF shrimp out of it. And the FDA said, not on my watch. <laughs> you know, you need a detailed plan on how you're going to go about producing uh, a product like this. You need a sampling plan. You need to show us your, the HACCP plan of the facility that's uh, reproducing those products. And, you know, so, you, you know, there's a lot of details out there for, that the FDA has available for industry to, 
to receive guidance from FDA. But if you don't do your homework, you are not going to, your programs are not going to be up to snuff. Let me ask so you a question, this, Scott. What, you know, when, when, you, when you get caught in the, the FDA expecting to either get off import alert or recondition products. Scott, let me ask you a question. So when you get into the uh, enforcement situation with FDA, uh, is that information private or public? It's uh, If you're in an enforcement situation with FDA, that is, uh, it's accessible uh, through a number of ways, through um, ITACs. Um, you can access information on the specific um, entry. You can access information through FDA's data dashboard, uh, Freedom, Freedom of Information Act, uh, data mining. There's a, there's a wide variety of ways that I dig up uh, dirty laundry on, um, on companies. This is, I used uh, to do that as a compliance person for uh, a big distributor here in the United States. This, this is a, uh, uh, some slides from a presentation. And, uh, it, was, it was actually a, a webinar that I gave a couple of months mm -hmm. ago. And it's, we, I took some snapshots of the, of the uh, FDA data dashboard just to uh, illustrate that it's all public information, all the enforcement action, all the uh, you know, uh, compliance uh, enforcement activity. It can be found on the dashboard maybe you can speak to some of the you know information that's provided on the dashboard uh generally i mean the, this is a this is it's this is one particular panamanian company that's had some issues in the past um and um inspection information is all on the dashboard um this is in for detailed information about when inspections were made and the outcomes of inspections um so um, th this is just an example, a case study of, uh, you know, driving home the fact that it isn't really important to get in front of this uh, because this information is all public. Yes, and it's also generated as you, as you showed over a specific time period, um, whether they were inspections or recalls or uh, warning letters, or placement on DWP, um, there's a history and actually had, you know, I'm not gonna name any names here, but there was recently a recall for uh, salmonella associated with raw fish here in the United States, um, product that was intended to be consumed raw. Um, and so um, I looked, I dug up the data dashboard um, output on that company and noticed that there were several um, voluntary actions notified um, on that um, as a result of those inspections that occurred, um, which started in 2010. And I noticed that a lot of the the um, non-conformities, let's say, or observations that were made by FDA uh, could be associated with the, with the root cause of why that product had salmonella. Now, the, obviously, the salmonella could have come from anywhere. It could have come in on the product um, from the country of origin, um, or it could have um, a, it could have occurred at retail. Um, but it was most likely, I believe they picked it up off of a food contact surface at this packing plant, um, which had citations in the past for, sanit for sanitation issues. 
So, um, and non-compliance with HACCP related um, uh, control strategies. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very detailed, very useful report that can be generated through the data dashboard. It's actually something through foreign supplier verification programs. That's one of the documents that an importer here in the United States would generate in their process of evaluating a supplier um, from overseas that they're, that's packing product for them. Um, and so it's, it's a very useful tool. Right. Uh, uh, would it be accurate to say also that, um, you know, the difficult part about uh, this regulatory compliance is um, understanding the enforcement priorities of FDA, right, which may change from over time and may change from administration to administration. I mean, there, there's one thing to, to understand the laws and the regulations of FDA, but it's another thing to understand the, the, the priorities today uh, that you're going to face uh, when you're trying to export. So the priorities are ready-to-eat products um, that have a history of non-compliance uh, from countries and packers that have histories of non-compliance. Um, so right now we're seeing a lot of a, a huge uptick in the amount of uh, warning letters and the not in the number of import alerts that are being issued for products like tahini or like uh, produce, um, anything considered ready to eat, crackers and stuff like this, uh, cookies. Um, you know, the, and we're also seeing uh, a number of compliance actions being taken on importers that are have consistently proven, or even just on a one-off scenario, uh, are proving they have complete disregard for the FDA's regulations. Um, that's a fast track to get on the import alert list. Um, and and so you know, again, you know, you, your name is being dra dragged through the mud. Um, by FDA and your competitors, because they know you're up there, um, that you, you're on that list. And, um, and now you're going to have to not only test your products into compliance uh, through um, requiring private analytical lab packages to be submitted to the FDA to determine the disposition of your product and whether or not you're going to receive a may proceed notice from FDA or they're going to or they're going to refuse that product's entry, um, but I think that the FDA's focus on seafood um, because I mean they're, they're they do we do import you know the lion's share of our seafood into the United States. I believe the number right now ranges anywhere between sixty five and ninety percent, um, and it has been that way uh, for a very long time. Um, we, you know, our dependence on imported seafood is going to uh, force FDA to continue uh, pressing the buttons um, and, and, and challenging importers, challenging processors overseas. Um, but that's really just a snapshot of what's occurring through those audits. Um, there's very little product in comparison to what we import that's actually inspected by FDA. Um, you know, there's compliance programs like they have at U.S. Department of Commerce, um, and they have uh, compliance programs through third-party audits. 
but really those are just a function of the competency of those officers involved with that specific entry um, or specific day that that was that that facility was being audited um, and and their ability to audit and inspect those products correctly uh, using the correct methodologies so um, it's kind of a you know, it, I, I think that there's a lot of seafood exporters that are rolling the dice and thinking that, you know, what what are the chances that we're going to get um, an enforcement action taken on us? Um, you know, there's a lot of packers that are disgruntled. They're saying, hey, we're sourcing the same raw material from the same fishery, but we're on import alert and the guy next door isn't on import alert and that's just not fair and i agree with them it doesn't make any sense you know you're get i mean unless the pop the processing plant um you know it isn't taking those corrective or or isn't implementing real controls i mean that's a serious concern so Julio, i want to as we roll as we conclude i mean you had a very interesting point that um you know the industry is fragmented. I mean, it, it, it's uh, you know the the their independent fisher fishery concerns that are not under your control that play a role in the compliance. Uh, exactly. And, and um, you know, so how do you think uh, you know what would be the next step to try to get? be in you know a uniform base level of compliance along the lines of what uh scott has been talking about for the last 15 minutes uh with respect to fda compliance yes well um as scott mentioned uh, main, one of the main um, goals of the fda is trustability and we have been working on that uh, for a few years now and by collecting or having a dat database of names, uh, vessels, um, uh, type of fishing, and even even the size of the net. In the case they use nets, uh, so we have been collecting that, and we have a database, and and, and we tried to, uh, to to enforce sort of um, some kind of manipulations that that that. The, the the vessel should have over the boat or, or the captain have to have to just have to enforce those those kind of let's say behaviors and, and that's something that we have been doing right now uh, it's not easy uh, but but I think it's working I think it's working and and basically that's that's it that's that's our main goal right now just collecting information and try to uh, try to the vessels that comply with 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 our requirements which which will be the requirements that the fda is going to enforce enforce on us mm -hmm. basically exactly. that's yeah um something that i want to say about what scott says about the the, all the, the, the compliance uh, and all the enforce the new enforcements that the FDA is doing based sometimes a lot of time is just documentation, detailed documentations. 
And 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 you said, as Scott says, by by rolling the dice. Yes, a lot of companies are rolling the dice. But if you step forward and and just try to to get informed and do your homework, and 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 comply with all the documentation that the FDA is asking, I think it's it's not going to be an issue for anybody. And and. And that's the main problem. The main problem is is information and doing their homework. That's that's the main thing there. Yeah, seems to me a little education may be part of it to trying to bring education. Yes. the experts who are on a daily basis, you know, working with FDA and, and in the field with these issues, to the players in Panama to educate them about exactly what they need to do. So it's an orderly process, and people don't get overwhelmed. Uh, you know, because they have someone who, who, who has a lot of empirical and everyday experience with what really matters and can be efficient uh, with it. You know, I mean, you know, the, these, these types of educational uh, projects come with a cost, right? So efficiency and working with someone with experience uh, is very important. Exactly. And then, and then I think that, that you make a point, very interesting point, Anthony, uh, I don't. I don't know for a fact. I mean, I know a cop, I know that the the law of the FDA, but the FDA, as Scott mentioned, every time is pushing their limits. Uh, so so probably I'm updated already on the new regulations, and and me as a as a manager of the of the processing plant, if. If we can get a tool or an office that can that can provide with that kind of service, and and I know the, the problem here is that people doesn't know that this kind of office exists, mm -hmm. and and usually uh, they start business, start exporting with whatever they know ten years ago. Mm -hmm. And 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 obviously the law already changed. I I remember that I used to log in the the FDA uh, web page and make my prior notice and and chip out the product. Probably that 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 um, that that system of that that environment or, or is already is already gone or is it's changed already. It's changing, yeah. The ACE system, automated uh, commercial environment, is it's evolving and it's evolving with different types of software. And there's different partner government agencies that have access to the information that that you're you're placing in, into that system, especially if the product is covered under the Seafood Import Monitoring Program, which is covered by the National Marine Fisheries Service, which Right now, I believe it's only 13 species, but they're looking to to expand that number of, of different species that are covered under that program. So, um, so yeah, there's per certain number of permits that are associated specific to the species that you're that you're exporting to the United States. And so, you know, there's certain you know details on the importer that needs to be there, and HTS codes, and area information, and the message set. That's, that's being supplied for SIMP, but then there's also a chain of a set of chain of custody documentation that needs to be there. The importer, the the uh, international fisheries trade permit holder here in the United States 
has to maintain a full set of documentation that that doesn't need to be uploaded, but it needs to be here in the event that that NOAA uh, or National Marine Fisheries Service requests an audit of, of that of that uh, product. So, yeah. devils in the details is correct. And I think that's a good way to end it. You know, uh, and I promised Scott that I would uh, wouldn't keep him here over an hour. But I want to thank both of you for your time. It's got your knowledge is uh, incredible and without limit. And, and Julio, it's been really important, your insights uh, with respect to the industry here in Panama. Maybe we can do a follow-up and, and go into some of these uh, issues more in depth uh, at, at a later date, maybe next month. But thank you so much to both of you guys. And uh, take care. And until the next time. Nice to meet you, Julio. Thanks, Anthony. Nice to meet you, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.